This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. For many years, we have sought Robert Shear for you, dear listener, and happily we have finally obtained him for today's program. Robert Shear should be on anyone's short list of distinguished journalists here in the United States. And he'll join us today to talk about his new book, The Pornography of Power, How Defense Hawks Hijacked 9-11 and Weakened America. This is Robert Shear's seventh book among a great body of, uh, of work. Some excellent reporting going back over 40 years, and we're very honored to bring him to our program today. Let us start today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 3rd of July. It was on July 3rd, 1775, that George Washington drew his sword at Cambridge Common in Massachusetts, rode out in front of the American troops, and formally took command of the Continental Army. Four score and eight years later, on July 3rd in 1863, on the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Confederate General Robert E. Lee's last attempt at breaking the Union line ended in disastrous failure, bringing the most decisive battle of the American Civil War to an end. Lee's attempt to take the war into the Northern Territories uh, thus failed and pretty much doomed the Confederacy, although it took until April of 1865 for it to finally be defeated. Or at any rate, until it finally surrendered. It was clear for quite some time which way things were going to end up. On July 3rd in 1898, the United States Navy defeated the Spanish fleet in the harbor of Santiago, Cuba during the Spanish-American War. The battle was evidently quite the rout as the American fleet waded off the, uh, the uh, mouth of the harbor and picked off the Spanish ships as they tried to flee one by one. And uh, not far off from this location is where the present American base at Guantanamo Bay is located. On a non-military note, it was on July 3rd in 1940 that the legendary American comedy duo of Bud Abbott and Lou Costello debuted with their network radio program on NBC. On July 3, 1957, Nikita Khrushchev took control of the Soviet Union after orchestrating the ouster of his most serious opponents from positions of authority. Khrushchev's actions delighted the United States, which viewed him as one of the more moderate figures in the communist government of the Soviet Union. And it was 20 years ago today, July 3, 1988, when out in the Persian Gulf, the U.S. Navy cruiser, the Vicennis, shot down an Iranian Airbus passenger jet that it mistook for a hostile fighter aircraft. All 290 people aboard the commercial flight were killed. I'm not sure how this was reported here in the United States, but uh, I learned about it by reading the Johannesburg Star when I was in South Africa. On uh, page one of the paper, they showed a Tomcat fighter versus an, an Airbus and simply indicated that yesterday the United States Navy shot down the plane above, mistaking it for the plane below. And yes, it was a rather sorry chapter in American naval history. And uh, dead on this day, 37 years ago, July 3rd, 1971, Jim Morrison of the Doors. He was found dead in a bathtub in Paris, France, while he was taking a sabbatical from 
his hit rock band. He presumably died of heart failure, likely caused by drug overdose. I remember reading an article, I think it was in Rolling Stone, shortly before that, uh, talking about how Janis Joplin had passed away, as had Jimi Hendrix, and asked, who's next? According to the article, it was sure to be Jim Morrison. And it was. The quote of the day, and no, it didn't come from Robert Mugabe, although it could have, actually comes from former Hong Kong governor Lord McLehose, who said, the main trouble with holding elections is you don't know in advance how they're going to turn out. And I must say, I probably shouldn't have laughed last Friday, but uh, but I couldn't help it when I got an email from Donald on Friday saying that he was really very worried. And when I wrote him back and said, about what? He added, well, how this election's going to turn out in Zimbabwe? Our quip of the day comes from the late George Carlin, who once said, scratch any cynic and you'll find a disappointed idealist. Our stat of the day comes from Forbes magazine, which noted recently that business school students tend to pick hot fields that soon cool down. It was noted that 17% of graduates at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School took Silicon Valley jobs in 2000, right before the dot-com crash. The next year, 30% of Wharton job hunters chose investment banking. In the next two years, Wall Street laid off tens of thousands of bankers. Not to worry, though. These, these boys, I'm sure, are gung-ho in our current economy, and, God, they couldn't be wrong again. Our joke of the day comes from the, the Sacramento News and Review, the article a couple weeks back by Todd Walton, titled Jewish Jokes, which goes into his, uh, his history, including how he discovered at one point he wasn't Unitarian, but Jewish. Well, at least according to his grandma's friends. Which prompted, among other commentary, the following joke. A priest goes into a confessional. A little man comes in and plops down and says, Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. I'm 60 years old. And I've never cheated on my wife, but I met this 35-year-old woman. I went to her apartment and had fantastic sex all day long. The priest asks, When was the last time you were in confession? The man says, I've never been to confession. He goes, Well, what kind of Catholic are you? He says, I'm not Catholic. I'm Jewish. The priest says, So why are you telling me this? The guy says, You? I'm telling everybody. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for dining in Beijing after China's image-conscious government provided restaurants with more appealing English translations of traditional dishes just in time for the Olympics. For example, husband and wife's lung slice will herefore be rendered as beef and ox tripe in chili sauce. Also, bean curd made by pockmarked woman becomes mapo tofu. Yeah, I remember once uh, in an Asian uh, in restaurant back when I was in medical school, just howling at some of the traditional names they had on the menu. I wish, I wish we'd see more of that. It's pretty funny. But uh, last week was kind of a bad week for full gender equality. After a British college found it necessary to warn female students to stop wolf whistling at campus construction workers. A spokeswoman for the contractors admitted that none had actually complained. Finally, it was an ugly week a couple weeks back for international trade. 
when it was revealed that Iceland and Norway have resumed whale meat exports for the first time since the early 90s. Said Christian Lofsen, chief executive of an Icelandic whaling company which is exporting whale meat to Japan, there are many hungry whale meat lovers in Japan. And I'm sure there are, but that's not the point, is it? All right, from the miscellaneous file, we have this item from, uh, from a study done by a parapolitical psychologist at Stanford University. Apparently, the more Democrats know about global warming, the more concerned they are. But Republicans, who consider themselves well-informed well on the topic, seem no more worried than those who profess ignorance. This is attributed to the fact that conservative news sources are often highly skeptical of climate change. And I can't resist uh, quoting this little blurb from the uh, letters section of New Scientist magazine, which noted the following. While enjoying a stir-fry, Alcidaire Jones noticed the ingredients list on his bottle of Tesco oyster sauce. Water, sugar, color, corn flour, oyster extract, 1.5%. Underneath was a note that said, Oyster extract contains oyster extract, tapioca, starch, salt. Mr. Jones then went on to assume that this oyster extract in turn contains oyster extract, tapioca, starch, salt, and so on and so on. All right, let's, uh, let's look at some news items here. How about this one from uh, Monica Davies' article in the New York Times from last week? Noting, levy lessons weren't learned after earlier disasters, experts say. In the wake of these devastating Mississippi River floods from a couple weeks back, it was noted that after the last devastating flood in the Midwest 15 years ago, a committee of experts commissioned by the Clinton administration issued a 272-page report that recommended a more uniform approach to managing rising water along the Mississippi and tributaries, including giving the principal responsibility for many of the levees to the Army Corps of Engineers. And while we're not sure the Army Corps needs to be the people entrusted, uh, someone needs to be coordinating this whole, uh, this whole matter. Someone needs to address the issue of all the building that's been going on out in the floodplain. It's the same problem we have here in Sacramento, which is considered uh, the city most at risk for catastrophic flooding in America. I do find it worth taking a look at uh, the money we're not spending on America's crumbling infrastructure, Mississippi levees, etc., because it's going to the war in Iraq a conflict that appears to have no benefit to anyone. Remember when Hurricane Katrina stuck, struck New Orleans a few years back and they talked about how to really do a proper fix, they'd have to spend $100 billion. That seemed like an astronomical sum at the time, but now it looks like a nine or ten months worth of Iraq war. And speaking of ignored issues, uh, Sacramento, the whole Sacramento Valley, got a lesson uh, of uh, this past few days when all the fires uh, blowing around the state, the smoke blowing around the state, uh, basically settled here in the valley. Being surrounded by, uh, you know, on all sides by mountains and having a tendency to have uh, profound inversion layers, I think this central valley has got to be the world's uh, best smog trap. Now, what's going to happen when they put 12 to 14 million more people in California and most of them go here in this valley? It's not a good idea, folks. I don't know if any of you noticed the, uh, the editorial special to the Washington Post reprinted in the B last weekend from Bjorn Lomberg, the guy that's the, uh, the global warming skeptic. It was titled, Focus on Emissions Won't Solve Climate Crisis. 
And actually, I'm not even going to discuss what he had to say because I don't think Bjorn Lomberg is necessarily worth talking about. But what struck me about the article was the accompanying photograph, which I thought was sort of an artist rendition of a futuristic city. Kind of had this George Jetson-style architecture with this strange green area, looked like a lawn abutting um, the harbor. Turns out it was an actual photo. And the green stuff was blue-green algae that was, uh, that was floating around the coastline of Qingdao, which is going to be the host city for sailing events in the Olympics. The caption of the picture said that the algae bloom is the result of climate change and recent heavy rains in southern China. Well, I'm glad that Bjorn Lomberg is at least being part of an article that talks about how global warming is really happening. And we mentioned the fact a few years back, actually, that uh, the new super collider that's going to come online in Europe is generating some worry that it could create a mini black hole that would swallow the Earth. Anyway, we're satisfied by our talks with our friends at the Stanford Linear Accelerator that this is not possible. Be kind of a shame, though, if they throw the switch and the world ends. Let's talk a bit about science and medicine. Uh, I was uh, horrified to see that that uh, homeopathic remedy that we mentioned on the show a few weeks back that's composed of, you know, infinitesimally small quantities of duck liver mixed in with other inert ingredients. It's being sold as flu prevention. They're selling it in my local market. And yes, I'm going to go in and have a talk with the manager and say this is, uh, this is a quack medicine. This is something you should not be selling. It's phony. It's fake. It's not going to help your customers. And you really ethically shouldn't be selling it. We'll give you some follow-up on how that goes. On a much happier note, there's some really intriguing uh, new evidence out that a healthy way of life might be able to prevent cancer not just from coming on, but coming back. Apparently over at UCSF, Dean Ornish, who, you know, admittedly is the founding president of the Preventative Medicine Research Institute and is a consultant for large food companies on how to make more healthful foods, has uh, done this study. He's... Ornish has previously shown that, uh, that healthy living can not only stop but reverse the progress of coronary heart disease. He and his colleagues then reportedly decided to look at gene activity in a group of people with cancer who had chosen to change their ways rather than undergo medical treatment. The team studied men with prostate cancer, which was picked because it's slow growing, and put them on a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, did stress management, moderate exercise, plenty of psychosocial group support, as it was described. And on this diet, some what were described as genetic changes took place that uh, looked like they were producing things that, that helped the cancer. Well, we we got to read up on this one. We will, and we'll t- talk more about it. And in some further uh, good news with uh, modern medicine and health, uh, it's been shown now for the first time that stem cells can cure human disease. The case involved Nate Liao, a two-year-old from Minneapolis who was born with epidermolysis bullosa, a rare disease which is caused by the body's inability to make a key form of collagen, which supports the skin. Nate and his older brother, Jake, who also has the disease, have skin so delicate that it blisters and falls apart at the slightest touch. They boy, the boys have to wear special clothes and have never eaten solid foods because the lining of their esophagus is so fragile it too can only handle liquids. Well, Nate was given a bone marrow transplant using stem cells harvested from umbilical cord blood, and a few months later his body began making more normal collagen. His skin is reportedly now strong enough for him to wear normal clothes and eat real meals. So there you go. It's happening. Stem cells are going to fulfill their potential to cure diseases. 
fact, they already are. And on a less happy note, uh, we would note that uh, there was this recent study we need to talk about showing that vinyl shower liners give off toxic chemicals. These were curtains sold at such major retails as Walmart, Sears, and Bed Bath & Beyond. They're made of polyvinyl chloride, or PVC. Contain high concentrations of dozens of toxic chemicals that account for that new shower curtain smell. Study by the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice in Virginia looked at these curtains and found they released chemicals into the air and the toxins could linger there for a month. And unfortunately, many of the chemicals being released have already been linked to damage to the liver, lungs, central nervous system, and reproductive system. The center recommends buying shower curtains not made of PVC. And uh, some better news regarding plastic. It's been reported that a Canadian teen may have solved the world's plastic problem. A, a little blurb in the Week magazine notes that every year we throw away 500 billion plastic bags, and those that wind up in landfills won't degrade for a thousand years. High school junior Daniel Bird from Waterloo, Ontario, has figured out a way to destroy the plastic bags in record time. For a school science fair, Bird combined yeast, water, and bacteria-laden landfill dirt with pieces of torn-up plastic bags and let the soup sit for a few months. He then examined the decomposing plastic, isolating two strains of bacteria that were actually digesting the bags. After six weeks, Bird found these strains, Sphingomonas and Pseudomonas, could reduce the weight of plastic by more than 30%. If he could mass-produce these two strains in an industrial plant, Bird suggests that entire plastic bags could be decomposed in about three months' time. Noting we're using nature to solve a man-made problem. I hope uh, Daniel Bird succeeds with this and makes himself a multimillionaire in the process. All right now, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll be back to talk with Robert Shear after the short break.